There's no better place to watch football with friends than Buffalo Wild Wings. They've got all the games on wall-to-wall TVs and a new $5 game day menu with 38-ounce pitchers of Bud Light, Coors Light, and Miller Light, cheeseburgers and brats, and select cocktails. And every Sunday, you can play an exclusive fantasy football game with DraftKings with prizes like free wings for a year. Get to Buffalo Wild Wings for our $5 game day deals. When football is on, you have to be here. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Price and participation vary. Subject to restrictions. Limited time only. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new Turf Show Times Radio. This is your boy, Josh Webb, alongside for the third and sadly final week, unless we stage a coup, which is possible. Mr. Mighty and or Mice and Mice and Adiasaur, man, how you doing? It is a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. I know. I know it's been an interesting three weeks. We've had a lot going on over the last three weeks. <laughs> we, it's given me an idea to, uh, it's given me an idea that Scott were mulling around for a second podcast in the off season that includes you. So uh, stay tuned on that. But today we've got plenty of to cover not a lot of time to cover it we're doing an abbreviated version again holidays i got appointments tomorrow it's late and well frankly scotty is tired and he's earned it everybody's earned it it has been 2016 was exhausting and you're lying if you're telling us that it wasn't agreed it was exhausting seemingly for everybody even tom brady couldn't get out of 2016 without being hassled. Tom, the God. So uh, it'll be interesting to do a sports show and look back at all the careers ruined over 2016. <clears throat> I mean, you got, well, Ronda Rousey kind of trickled into 2017, but she's done. You got John Jones. He's done. Who am I, how many other people have had their career ruined? In 2016. Feel like we all have. <laughs> considering, considering we're talking about the rims, I don't know how uh, how successful we are right now. <laughs> this, is, this is true. This is true. <laughs> if we were on the Patriots beat, I feel like it would be a different story. But the first topic that we want to get to today because it's pressing because things are happening and things are in motion and we're going to get to the coaches in a second, but we're going to start with the executives. It would seem 
and and this again is is we don't know everything, but it would seem that Kevin Demoff and Les Snead are in place for 2017. Jeff Fisher is going to be the Ollie North. He has been fired. Everybody knows he's been fired. John Fossil took over. Uh, obviously, is the interim coach and did well nothing with it. To be honest, um, I'm not. I think the performance has actually devolved when he took over. But I don't know how much you can expect of a man who who's taking over a franchise that just got their head coach fired and uh, is facing one of the schedules that they were facing and the opponents that he had to go up against. But uh, before we get to Fossil, we need to talk about the execs. Should some executives be gone, Mifson? Yes, Kevin Nemoff. <laughs> I mean, it, it all starts at the top, right? You know, um, in most in most situations, at least that's what I've always believed, is it usually starts at the top and. Kevin Demoff, I mean, he's the one mainstay over the past however long now with the Rams and their struggles. You know, he's been a mainstay and it's just not changing. You know, there's a there's too much acceptance of mediocre play and mediocre coaching and mediocre talent. Um, and I think it all starts at the top. That's the one mainstay. That's the one thing that has not really changed over the last 10 years or however long he's been in the position now. So I would definitely say Kevin Demoff probably needs to find a new home. Now, it's curious you mentioned that because the one face that we haven't seen throughout of the throughout this entire process and he still has his job is is Les Sneed. Why are you firing the chief operations officer as opposed to the general manager? Because well, first off, Les Sneed can go too. <laughs> Let me say oh, that. Okay, all right, all right. You, you just haven't gotten to them yet. But all as right. I said, it starts with the top, so I'm starting at the top and trickling down. Um, okay, okay. Kevin De- Kevin Demoff is he's 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 been in charge of hiring and firing coaches and GMs, and the guys that he's been putting into place. You know, he has put he put Jeff Fisher into place. You know, it, it, him and Stan Kroenke together put Jeff Fisher into place. It wasn't just you know, they didn't have a GM to hire him, you know, and they, when it was time to fire him, the first person to speak was Kevin Demoff. Kevin Demoff is actually the one that's really having a lot of control here, you know, and I think that you really have to step back and look at what is it that he's kind of been accepting. Why would it take you so long to fire Jeff Fisher or why would it take you so long to address certain things? Um, Kevin Demoff needs to go. <laughs> well, you're not going to get any argument from me. And, and, and I do think that you are correct. Um, I, I See, the reason that I would fire Les Snead is because I haven't seen him at all. Like, in my opinion, you can't really general manage if, if you aren't managing. And it doesn't seem like Snead did any managing. This team hit a crisis. It's in a crisis. Being laughed at. I mean, at one point. They are generally considered to be the worst team in the league. The worst team in the league can swept them. I mean, well, the second worst team. The Browns did finish with one win, the, 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 the Niners with two, but both of those were over the Rams. When a team wins two games, 
and they're both over you, and you finish with four wins, I still think you're worse than the team that has two wins. <laughs> but throughout all of that, and just set that aside, throughout all of that, what we never saw was Les Snead. We never saw Les Snead step up. We never saw or heard anything from Les Snead about the state of the Rams. And what was most curious to me is that when Jeff Fisher was finally fired, it was Demoff that was doing all the talking. When was the last time a, a head coach was fired in the NFL and the general manager was did not give the press conference or was at least not there, if not the owner? Because owners do step in sometimes, especially if you're talking about guys like Jerry. They'll sometimes yeah. give that press conference for the GM. But name me the last time the damn GM wasn't even present. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what people have to realize with Les Need is he is the, the old school prototype, you know, G, GM, where he's sort of like a poster boy for the people who he who he answers to, which would be Kevin Demoff and uh, Stan Kroenke. It's not a lot of GMs who's out there a lot. <laughs> you know, there, there, there's some guys who, you know, they're talked about a lot in the media and you see their faces a lot. But how many teams can you really, how many teams can you really stop and say, oh, I've, I've heard the name of this GM often over the last year? You really don't. GMs usually are, especially during the season, they're really kind of out of the spotlight, you know, during scouting and whatever else. They, they're they not even in the building a lot of times during the season because they are scouting so much. So with the GM, I think that Les is that type of GM where they have certain roles for him, and he, he goes out and he takes care of business for the – well, when I say take care of business, but that's what he's doing. He's doing those roles. He's not, he's not in the building, and he's not running the show. I think that a lot of times – the uh, the perception is that the GM runs the show a lot more than what he actually does, when in actuality, it's not even the case with so many teams. And, and you know, it very well may be the case here with the Rams, uh, but uh, I just so the problem with Demoff is he's sort of like Carmen San Diego right now. Where in the world is, or excuse me, Sneed is this like where in the world is this guy, and what is he doing? And, and if you're a Rams fan, I, I I can get behind the idea that general managers don't necessarily run everything. They're not the end-all, be-all that people tend to think they are. What would be frustrating as a Rams fan, though, is not even knowing where the hell your GM is, what he's doing, or the justification for these decisions. Because everybody, everybody... Read Peter King's article, Monday morning quarterback article about Jared Goff and who pushed for the trade. How did it happen? Or excuse me, it wasn't Peter King's article. It was Robert Clem, uh, Klemke's, right? Yeah. Uh, Robert Klemke, Klemke's article. And it was all about the, you know, the, 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 the oral history of the trade, if you will. And it was less need pushing for this. This was what Sneed wanted. I, I I find it indefensible that Sneed hasn't had to answer, at least publicly, 
for some of the things that he's done, given how badly it's affected the Rams in the meantime. Yes, I would agree. And that's why I say uh, that's why I corrected myself when I said he's been out doing his job. But because uh, that, that would be a stretch to say he's been out doing his job. I mean, when you look at this roster and you look at the amount of draft picks they've had. To for this roster to be so thin, it should be it, this to have this many draft picks. It should be a lot more depth, but this roster is terribly thin right now. And when I say draft picks, I'm not just talking first round or second round or early round picks. I'm talking just as a whole. You can't miss on that many picks, and then your job be safe. That just shouldn't be the case. Now, granted, I do. I'm the I'm strong believer that um, Lesney didn't have. A, the normal amount of say-so in the picks, uh, uh, most GMs do. I think that Jeff Jeff Fisher had a lot of say-so in those picks. But in listening to uh, everyone and some of the reports from uh, this past offseason, um, I do believe this was the first year where Les Neat was kind of thrust into the role of, okay, you're going to start calling the shots on what are we going to do with these picks? Who are we looking to bring in here for uh, undrafted free agents? Things like that. The reason I say that is because it was widely reported, and Jeff Fisher and Les Snead both admitted to this, as well as uh, the uh, Titans coach, uh, head coach and GM both admit, admitted to this, that the person who got the ball rolling on the um, Jared Goff trade, who it was the persons who I did was and got the ball rolling and started the conversation was Les Snead. So I think this past offseason last year was the first time Les Snead really kind of started to take the reins of, of GM where he's kind of calling the shots of personnel. And in doing so, he I would say that he put the Rams in the worst situation they've been in in the offseason, this offseason here. Excuse me, uh, Kevin Deemhoff would like to push back real quick. Uh, <laughs> through, through Joe Curley, uh, Deemhoff apparently, this just came through the wire. Uh, as is Demoff giving a press conference while we're doing this. Uh, Demoff cited that, that the fourth quarter leads in playoff uh, against playoff teams, against like Detroit, uh, Giants, uh, Miami, as well as the Seattle win, and said the team is not far off. They, they, they haven't been finishing games. But he also pushed back on the idea that the Rams don't have draft capital because of the golf trade. He said they will probably have picks in every round but the first. That probably is 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 the thing that I think is bothering Rams fans. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, I said it when Janoris Jenkins and Rodney McLeod signed that first day of free agency last year. You know, I wrote it in an article it was. I think I was probably the first person on earth to say it. The Rams are going to end up with a third-round uh, compensatory pick. Uh, I think it would be very hard to believe if they didn't get it. I think it would be complete shock just because when Janoris Jenkins signed that mega contract, now while no one knows the exact guidelines of how those picks are handed out, there's um, everyone has a pretty – most people have a pretty good idea if you do the research on it. Um it's all about key free agents, essentially. If you're a key free agent and key free agents are determined by how much you're playing for that team that you left, or how much how much did you play for that team you left, how much you're playing for the team you're with, the contract they signed you to, and how'd you perform. Um, 
when Janoris Jenkins signed that mega contract, you knew he wasn't going to ride the bench. You knew he was going to play. You know, so that would consider him to be a key free agent. There was only one free agent in all of free agency who got a bigger contract, and that was Josh Norman. So I think the third. So I immediately thought to myself, there's a very good chance the Rams are going to get themselves a third round compensatory pick. And then you add in Rodney McLeod, who was the highest paid safety in free agency last year. Um, I think there's a there's a there's a really good chance the Rams could get a fourth round pick. But then I think the most likely is probably going to be a fifth round pick. But I believe they will they will come away with two compensatory picks and they'll be middle round solid picks. Um, But. So I, I know where he's going when he says, you know, the Rams will have a pick in every round, but the first, but it's not a guarantee. And that's the issue that I personally have. And I think most people have. Yeah. I, I, if you want to guarantee it, it means someone has to go, which is what I said to, to, to Joe in, in just a reply is that to, to guarantee that somebody has to go, you can, you can hope for those compensatory picks and, and hope that they come through, but you, you don't really, the, the, the compensatory pick deal, I don't want to call it a lottery, although it kind of is a lottery. If penalties in soccer, it can be a lottery. I think you can have the lottery of compensatory picks. You don't necessarily have a guaranteed notion of what you're going to get in return. With somebody, as you said, like Janoris Jenkins and Rodney McLeod, you know they're going to play. You know they're going to play a lot, and you know they're going to make an impact. So you're probably going to get something good in return for that. Um, But there's no guarantees. Yeah, uh, exactly. So I, I guess that the, the, to, to cap off our discussion on executives and to move on to the head coaching search, because there's plenty to talk about there. You jettison Demoff and Sneed. Who do you bring in? I'll, I, I'm going to make this simple because I, I don't know too many people that go around looking at COOs to try and replace them. I'll make this simple. Who do you bring in instead of Les Snead as a GM? Do you go out and hire Trent Baalke? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, you guys can Trent have Baalke, him. Wow. If you, if you, <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, I mean first off, well, what no way, type of would, GM no do you hire? I think you have to hire an aggressive GM. Um one that's aggressive, one that's, you know, smart aggressive, but really going to be aggressive. And when I say aggressive, I mean with the way that he attacks uh, the talent, being able to supply um, a strong roster, one that a coach can do wonders with. You know, I look at what the Rams had in uh, just opportunity over the past couple of years and where they are right now, and it's not a good look. Um I go back to the Janoris Jenkins uh, free agency deal last year, and it drives me insane because I was, I think, I don't think people have forgotten how livid I was. <laughs> and I was just, because it didn't make sense to me how you could pay Mark Barron $45 million, but you couldn't pay neither Janoris Jenkins mm. or um, Rodney McLeod. When Rodney McLeod ended up signing with the Eagles for 37, I believe, $37 million. How could you not pay either one of those guys? You could have kept at least one of them, but you didn't. You chose to give the you, you chose to give the money to Mark Barron. Now I know that the reports came out saying that they offered 
that same exact identical contract to Janoris Jenkins. But the issue with that is I don't care who you talk to in the entire NFL world. No one is going to tell you that a Mark Barron is value is equal to that of a number one cornerback, which Janoris Jenkins have proven to be. Um, even if he's not a number one cornerback, even at the number two cornerback, Mark Barron is still not equal value because he's a hybrid linebacker. And he's not even a hybrid linebacker like like a defensive end outside linebacker that can get sacks. Those guys are worth more than a Mark Barron. Mark Barron isn't he's not even in the top three or four, you know, uh, of most valuable positions on defense. So to offer an identical contract to him as you would your top cornerback doesn't make sense. Now, with that being said, they clearly still had the cap to sign him, you know, to a bigger deal. And rumors were that he was looking for something in the 55 million range. And, you know, he ended up getting 62, 63 from the uh, uh, Giants. But he was looking for the Rams to offer him something in the 55 million range and overall value. Uh, They could have when you look at the when you look at the fact that only months, a few months later, they signed Tavon Austin to a $44 million contract. So that's $99 million they split between Tavon Austin and um, Mark Barron. So they had the money to give to Janoris Jenkins, but they chose not to. And it was spent poorly. So when you look at the when you look at the way that the the way that these signings have taken place, and you look at the way these draft picks have taken place, I think you have to go and get yourself an aggressive GM. One that's going to go get good players, good young talent out of the draft. And when it's time to really restructure contracts, rework these guys and get the best guys signed, he's going to be aggressive and get your best players to stay. Because the Rams just lost two pro bowlers (laughs) in the secondary, which is rough. It looks like that was one side of their secondary. And it looks like they're going to lose their other side in Tremaine Johnson and TJ McDonald this year. You know, that's the, if you listen to TJ McDonald talk on his exit interview, he sounds like he's already made up his mind to get out of town, you know, so, which is telling considering the fact that he went to school in LA playing at USC and he's ready to leave, you know, so it's pretty telling about how he feels about this organization right now that he's just, that he wouldn't even give them a we'll talk or anything. He was like, well, you know, it's business. So we'll see. But I got an agent that's going to get, you know, go talk. And, you know, I got it. It was it was no there was no even most guys be like, well, you know, we'll talk to the, this team first. And they show yeah, they, they usually they, say, they, I'm going to sit down with the team after the season. Exactly. He wasn't yeah. politically correct at all. It was there was no chance of talking to the Rams whatsoever, you know. So and so I, I see I see them losing more, which. You kind of got to look at the GM and say, well, what is he doing right now? So I definitely think they have to find a guy that's pretty aggressive, uh, but, you know, that's smart, aggressive, that knows how to plan for the future, which I don't think Les Snead has done a good job of, considering the fact that this whole Jared Goff trade was his idea, which is what kind of put the Rams in this situation right now. Yeah, I, uh, I completely <laughs> agree with you, man. And there's. There's just oh so much time that we could spend picking apart some of the decisions made by this organization, but we'll. I will say really quick, uh, really quick. Um, I will say the one guy that I think is a really hot name and uh, out there right now is um, uh, Elliot Wolf with the Packers. Mm. I think that he's a guy that teams teams looking for a GM are really going to be interested in. You know what I like um, about the Packers too? Let me, let me just cut in on this man. They draft really well. They draft well absolutely. in the later rounds. Like you look at a guy like Devontae Adams. 
They got Devontae Adams in the second round out of Fresno State. What up, Scott? We know this. Uh, I was at Devontae Adams Pro Day. He was a first-round receiver. He really was. Um, I, I, yeah, I, man. I, I, I think there were a couple. Scott was there, too. Yeah, <laughs> Although I, Scott was, I always wanted the nice to take him, man. Yeah, Scott was yeah, put, I re- put it the I remember scouting him. Yeah, I remember scouting Devontae Adams, and I said then, and I was very high on him. I said he was a first-round draft pick, and I said I believe he is the best run-after-catch in the enti- receiver in the entire draft. Yep. When it came to getting yards after the catch, that's what separated Devontae. He had NFL hands, an ability. When he catches the football, you just you hear the pop. And it's just you know that Devontae has that ball in his hands. It's not going anywhere. Um, well, in theory, he, he did have some fumble issues, yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to yards after the catch, the dude, that's why Fred Fresno would run so many confident bubble screens with he and Derek Carr, because the receivers knew their job to set the block. Devontae knew where he was going with the ball before he caught it. Then he, uh, made moves, um, but, but but getting back to the to the Rams instead of Devontae Adams, I like what the Packers do with their draft talent. They find guys in the later rounds, and then they develop these guys out, and they become something on the team. They aren't just used as trade capital for later. There are only a few organizations that do this. The Patriots are obviously one of them. Uh, but I, I think the Packers are an excellent organization for finding, scouting, and bringing in talent. Whether or not they're able to use it is an entirely different story. That falls on uh, Mike Carson. No, I, I definitely agree, and I think that's why that's that's the huge reason why I say that um, Elliot would be uh, it's going to be a name that teams are going to be really looking for over the next couple of weeks here. Really, honestly, I don't expect him to make it through the next week and a half, two weeks without someone offering him a job. Um, he's, a, he's a name that, I, that really kind of started to kind of come up last offseason. But you know how it is that first year when your name starts to come up, you just you barely miss the rounds. But then that next year, they really all over you. I think this is where Elliot Wolf really comes up. And he's been working under Ted Thompson now, you know, so. You know, Ted Thompson, like you said, is so good at getting guys through the draft and building through the draft and building those guys up. I mean, how many big name free agents do the Packers really bring in? They don't. You got Julius Peppers there, and that's about it. <laughs> you know, there's no one else there that they that they really brought in through free agency. So they do a great job of really building through the draft and keeping guys on their roster. Their practice squad has all has been almost the exact same for like two and a half years now, you know, so they get guys there, they work, they, they develop them, they work them, and then they put them in and they watch magic happen. I think that teams are wanting some of that in their establishments now, so they're trying to get guys out of that to try to get guys out of uh, out of Green Bay that they can bring over and say, hey, work your magic here. So you guys ready to laugh? Yeah, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Demoff uh, mentions that the Rams were six and two over a half season stretch that bridged 2015 and 2016 seasons. That only Casey and Minnesota had similar success. So Demoff has now looked at the end of the 2017 or 16 
2015 season and combined it with the 2016 season, the the, the three and one start uh, to uh, to justify something. I don't I don't even know what I don't know what. But what I said is this is stats you find when you really are up against a wall with no answers. Um, what do you make of that stat or the fact that he even found it? Well, <laughs> if Marcin doesn't have I mean, anything I do, he's grasping at straws. I mean, it's it's like you can't, I can't help but laugh at it because how do you how do you okay some of these things? You know, like how do you how do you actually look at the, look at your performance and say, hey, but you know, last year we won three games to close out the season, and we won three games to start the season. So hey. Forget the fact that we lost all the other games, you know, but we we won three here and won three here in two different seasons. So even if you put those together, you still only won. Like if you put those together for one season, you still only won six games. So you're six and ten. Big deal. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like you're doing good. And I think that right there is the big problem, like just being OK with mediocrity. You're literally saying, "Hey, but you know, if you look at the, if you look at the the past sixteen games in this time frame in this stretch, we won six games. Like that's 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 hilarious to a successful team because they're like, this is why you're not good. You have this mentality, you okay this mentality, and then you spread I, it, which I is call what he's these doing. Vin Scully stats. Yeah, that's, because there are stats that Vin Scully finds while he's telling you. A, a story during an at bat, and and you're just always impressed. Where Vin will be like, and Adrees is batting three thirty two on Tuesdays when the rain is overhead. It, it, you know, it just just Vin stats. Only Vin can pull them off. But this is one of those where you're like. It's a stat because you know why I call him Ben Stats is because he always tries to find something polite to say about a hitter, no matter how much of a slump they're in. Vin tends to be a polite guy, so he will find a stat that works for them, and and it's just like, well, he gave it his best shot, you know. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I feel this quote is. Hey guys, we tried. Are are you happy? Am, am I am I off base with that, Myson? Is that how it reads to you? It reads. It doesn't even read to me as that. <laughs> it reads to me as we're okay with mediocrity. <laughs> like that's what I got out of. Hey, we won six games over a sixteen game stretch between two seasons. Mediocrity. That's actually a little below mediocrity. So, and I think I think Kevin Demoff, you know, pointed to this. If you listen to him uh, talk about the firing of Jeff Fisher, you know, he kind of talks about uh, what Jeff, Jeff Fisher did, you know, in his first couple of seasons and how he wasn't on pace for that. So it's almost like saying if he was on pace for another seven win season, he'd still have a job. So you're really OK with it. And, you know, when you start talking about combining two seasons and having six wins, it just kind of further verifies it. You're okay with six wins, seven wins. That that's good enough for you. 
you know, so that way you can stand at the podium and say we're close. You know, we're close to being a eight, you know, five hundred team. You know, eight win, nine win. You know, that's 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 what they want to be able to say we're close and not be able to say you know we're a nine win team, but we we should be a t- ten or eleven win team. You know that they're just kind of stuck in that uh, complacency. <sighs> Speaking of complacency, the Rams' first interview. The guy who led them to no wins during his interim run, Mr. John Fossil, Bones, Coach Bones, as people began to refer to him. Uh, where do you come down on this? You know, I'm not I'm not gonna uh I'm not gonna come down on Bones too hard, you know. I like Bones. I think that he is a, a great motivator. You watch his special teams, they're always hyped no matter what the score is, no matter what time of year it is. Um, I really enjoy watching his uh, mic'd up series every year in camp, you know, the way he gets the guys fired up. I think he's a good motivator. Um, I just don't I just think that he was kind of thrown into that role, which was uh, I really shocked when I heard that he was been the one that they picked for interim coach. And even he himself said he was shocked. You look around that organization and on the coaching staff and they have, I think, three guys that are former head coaches. So it's really a shock that uh, that they didn't pick, you know, a Greg Williams or Dave McGinnis or something like that to be the interim head coach, especially considering the fact that Dave McGinnis is the assistant head coach. You know, it just seems like he's next in line <laughs> to be t- to be named head coach if anything was to happen with Jeff Fisher, which it did. You know, so I'm really shocked that they uh, went with uh, Bones. Um but I'm not going to condemn him for the way that the team performed. Yes, the team, you know, was horrible. Um, can I say that they got worse after Jeff Fisher? No, because Jeff Fisher's last game was one of the ugliest blowouts you're going to see against the uh, Falcons. You know, so I can't really say they got worse. I think they stayed the same from that Falcons game. They didn't get better from that. Um, but I, but I can't blame that on on the fossil either. They weren't. A, they, I said it a couple of weeks ago you know, when we were on air, and I said that while the Rams have a better record than the 49ers and Browns, I believe the Rams are the worst team in the NFL right now. Their their record doesn't show them as being the worst. It shows them as being, I believe, fifth worst. But Ooh, I believe I, they play I know the worst. Some, I know somebody that would fight you on this right now. <laughs> I believe they played the worst football in the NFL. And my my reasoning behind that is because when how you can look, you say that when Cody Kessler had better numbers than Jared Goff? Exactly, <laughs> that's my oh, point. You're saying, you're saying the Rams are the worst, not the Browns. It's the Rams are the worst. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, my bad. Yes. My bad. I thought you were saying the Browns were. I was like, oh wait, no. Yeah, the Rams are the worst. Have a worst record, but the record doesn't show how bad the teams. Uh, you know how bad the Rams played. Um, the Browns had definitely had the worst record. The 49ers had a worse record. You know, you have four teams with worse records than the Rams. But <laughs> when you look at the big picture of things, the way that the Rams played, you look at the games, like the Browns were in a lot of games, and they were in the games against good teams. <laughs> you know, they, re- they were taking teams to the wire, and they weren't just taking them to the wire, but they were leading <laughs> all the way into the fourth quarter in a lot of games. You know, the Rams, not so much. Um, one stat that was put up recently right after the season was the breakdown of the scoring quarter by quarter. The Rams come out in the first quarter and they outscore their opponents. 
But then for the entire year in the third quarter, I think they only had 27 points in the third quarter. It's like there's no such thing as halftime adjustments with this team. It just doesn't happen. Um, 27 points in the third quarter. You know, you know what I equate them to? This, this, is, this is a good analogy for this team. <clears throat> I always do this, and, and, and Joe always waits for me to bring up soccer. But when you look at soccer – the Rams are the equivalent of a team that maybe like opens up with a four three three and they're going up against the team with maybe a four one four one and the middle field's crowded because it's three to four, sometimes five. And and the coach, even though his team is getting overwhelmed and slaughtered in the midfield, having the ball picked off his guys repeatedly, he says, you know what? We're going to stick with the 4-3-3, just get the ball up to the wingers and cross it into the box. The guy now, if, if, if you are so damn stubborn that you can't adjust to what your opponent is doing and you ride out the same game plan for the whole game, the losses are going to come. Just in Miami, to me, is the definition of what you're talking about right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That is exactly that's that's my point exactly. Like the inability to adjust, and I've complained about this for years since Jeff Fisher first got here. I actually I'm I'm, I'm infamous for one quote where I said um, that I actually missed the old regime in the second half because they were much better at the Rams. Oftentimes, when you had spags around would come out in the second half and be fighting to get back into the game and win. And you see them actually start scoring in the second half, which showed you halftime adjustments. But with Jeff Fisher, it's been the exact opposite. You know, you you just don't see halftime adjustments at all. You, you know, you see them have a, a decent script sometimes for their first 15 plays where they might score either on the first or second drive. But then that's it. They just go cold after that. Like I said, though, and that's just this year that I mentioned it, but actually it's been that way for the past three years. The Rams are leading opponents in scoring in the first quarter. They're outscoring everyone. But then after that, it's nothing, you know, and that's been the problem. They don't know how to do anything outside of their first 15 plays, which every team scripts their first 15 plays. But outside of that, it's like they don't know what to do. It's almost like the whole week of practice. They only practice those 15 plays and nothing else. That's what it's almost like. We do have something good here from Moth on yes. candidates who are college coaches. You never rule them out. I don't see that as part of being uh, – I, I don't see that as being an active part of our research. I think our focus right now is assistant coaches in the NFL who are likely to become head coaches because that's the most logical place. So, in other words, they're not looking at David Shaw. <laughs> no, they are that's, not. David that's Shaw. all I got out of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it's not it's not terribly surprising. Um, when you look at where the Rams are right now, they're just so deprived of depth and talent in some really important places like the offensive line, for example. Um, you Do you really want to put an inexperienced coach into that situation. Like, I think that when you are in a, like, if you have a roster. This is where we need to define experience because David Shaw has been around the NFL. He's not strictly a college guy. 
He's been around. He knows. Has the he ever coach. been a head coach? Because that's what you're hiring him for, right? He has been a quality guy. He has been a quarterbacks coach, wide receivers coach, uh, passing game coordinator, and wide receiver. Uh, oh, excuse me. That was at San Diego. Uh, he was worked for the Raiders and for the Ravens. For but many he's never years. been an NFL head coach. Well, no, but you know, you're not going to be a head coach until you've been a head coach. And exactly, the, the Rams are not exactly a job that screams we should get a coach. We, but we that, demand that, that's the issue. Decide things. I think that's the issue, though. You know, you you definitely everyone has to get their start somewhere. So I'm not knocking him. Right. So we're better the, than the Rams. It's not well, like it's not like Robert Kraft is going to go out and hire, you know, David Shaw to replace Bill Belichick after Belichick leaves. He's probably going to look in the NFL ranks. But I mean, if you're an organization that's been as pathetic. As the, let's just be real. They have been pathetic. How can you sit there and say you can't rule them out, but I've ruled them out? Well, okay. So let me get, let me use an analogy for you. I think you're gonna enjoy this analogy because everyone likes it. So when you have yourself a young quarterback that you draft, you don't want to just throw him in there with no support whatsoever right you want to have him in there with a decent line and a good run game and you know a check a, a target that he can check the ball off to like a strong tight end or a good good receiver you want to put stuff around him to help him develop right mm-hmm. well it's the same thing with coaches <laughs> you know you don't want to bring in a, a, a head coach that's never been in the position before and he has nothing to work with because you're literally setting him up for failure how many head coaches or get their first job as a head coach, um, and they go into the they go into these roles where you don't have much to work with at all, and you're literally trying to build something from ground up while you're learning to be a head coach. They usually fail and they usually get fired. Now you look at somebody like a that. you you look at some you look at somebody like a Jim Harbaugh. You know, when he came to the 49ers, Jim Harbaugh is a hell of a coach, so I'm not taking anything away from him. Don't get me wrong when I say that. When he came to the 49ers, that team was loaded with talent because of so many failed years. They had a lot of first-round picks on their team, okay? And they didn't just have first-round picks on their team. They hit on a lot of first-round picks. So they were really, really just needing, you know, one or two pieces and a good coach to lead them and show them the way. And that's what they got. They got a good coach to lead them and show them the way, and then they were able to fill in a few few more holes, and off they went. So that's the, it's the same thing with a quarterback, you know, and that's why I use the quarterback analogy. You, When those quarterbacks don't have that around them, they usually fail and become a bust. <laughs> that's what I'm saying about Davis Shaw. You don't want to throw him on a Rams team where they're literally looking at a rebuild. You know, this is his first rodeo. You don't want – you don't just like you don't want to have a new coach – go through the move that they just went through. You don't want to you don't want to have a rookie head coach go through that move. You don't want to have a rookie head coach do your rebuild either cuz he doesn't even know how to how to lead an NFL team yet. That's fair. That's fair. So <laughs> what's funny here is is that we we're still on John Fossil. So is that a no? That is a no. Yes. <laughs> no on John Fossil. <laughs> I do I do want to see John Fossil stick around though. I think that John Fossil 
makes a lot of sense for special teams. I think he's one of the best special teams coaches in the NFL. The only better special teams coach I give credit to is um, John Harbaugh, but he's not, he's no longer a coordinator. So, (laughs) (laughs) all righty. So now we have Kyle Shanahan is going to be interviewed on Friday. Where do you come down on Mr. Shanahan? He did. Well, you know me. I'm. I'm job. Oh yeah, you know me. I'm very big on Shanahan. He's one of the first names I've mentioned for I don't know how long now, and he's going to be a name I keep mentioning when whenever I'm asked about coordinators I would love to see, you know, take the Rams head coaching job. I say Kyle Shanahan. I say Mike Shula. <laughs> I say uh, Josh McDaniels. Those are my three guys every time, and. I'm really big on Kyle Shanahan. I love what he's able to do with any talent. You know, it doesn't really matter what he has. He 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 literally has a Bill Belichick sort of approach, which is why I actually prefer him over Josh McDaniels because I think Josh McDaniels, and he might have been humbled mm-hmm. after his first go around as a head coach, but Josh McDaniels has always come off as more of the ego type, where he's going to do it his way. Whereas Bill Belichick is, whatever you give me is what I'm going to take. You know, so if I have to run the ball 40 times, I'm going to run it 40 times. If I got to line up and gun and just launch it over your head 50 times, I'm going to do that. If I got to throw 30 screens, I'm going to do that. He doesn't care. If I got to check it down to the running back all game, I'm going to do that. He doesn't have a specific um, game plan that he sticks to like a lot of coaches, you know, where some coaches say, I'm going to run power all game or I'm going to do this. He literally makes his game whatever it is that the defense is going to give him. He watches the tape. He studies the tape. He say, I'm going to beat you by doing this because this is what you're giving me. Cal Shanahan, he literally does the same thing, but he does it without a Tom Brady, which is impressive because while he hasn't had a uh, – his, he's not putting – his offenses isn't as – moves like a machine, like a well-oiled machine like the Patriots. He takes whatever's around him and he adjusts and he makes it work which is really, really impressive because you don't see a lot of offensive coordinators do that, which kind of shows you the respect that he has from the head coaches. Um, I think head coaches really respect him in the way that he approaches the game because they allow him to do this. You know, there's no identity that he's just so stuck in that he ignores what they're, what the defense is giving him. And he not, not only does he not, not only does he focus on or keep the focus on get taking what the defense gives you, but he also adjusts his game to his players. He doesn't make the players adjust to his game, which is really the key to his success. Um, if you watch him with uh, RG3 and the way he called that rookie season, RG3 was not lighting the NFL on fire as a quarterback from throwing the ball 40 yards down the field and just hit. He caught a lot of bubble screens. He caught a lot of stuff around it. He made the game simple for him. But then when you watched him with with uh, Kirk Cousins, he completely changed it when Kirk, Kirk Cousins came in the game. Kirk Cousins came in the game, and the entire game plan changed. While he still was able to find a uh, niche that was going to work in his favor for what the defense was giving him. So he he's really very versatile. And I think that he can go into any situation and he can make everyone on the team better, especially your quarterback, because he really knows how to uh, find the weaknesses in the defense, but he knows how to find the strengths in your player as well. 
which is going to be interesting to see because whoever buys into the Rams is likely going to have to buy into Goff. And if Kyle Shanahan doesn't believe in Goff, then, you know, know, there are seven jobs open right now and the Rams come in near the bottom, regardless of what pro football focus has has them ranked as a poll of a poll of a lot of people think that the Rams is the worst job. So that brings down to Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia, both of whom work with the Patriots, both of whom will interview on Saturday. Um, I, I'm, I'm fine with Kyle Shanahan. I just think that Kyle Shanahan's going to have his pick of jobs and I'd be stunned if he picked the Rams. You know, I I think it's really it's really a toss up when talking about the Rams job, because when you look at the roster, it's a turnoff because you have Jared Goff, who and I don't care what anyone says and I don't care if you like it. He was the absolute worst quarterback in the NFL this season. So you look at that and you're like, I don't know. Then you have Ty Gurley, who has disappeared since his first four starts. (laughs) You know, Um, he's just not. He doesn't run with any vision. And I've been saying this all year. I'm starting to hear more people talk about it. John Fossil mentioned it. Jamon Brown mentioned it. Now, when I said it in week two, everyone jumped down my throat. <laughs> but now I'm starting to hear more people talk about it, so I feel like it's okay to say again. Not that I ever stopped saying it, but he doesn't run with any vision or patience. It just is not there, okay? Um, when you look at this and you look at this roster and you look at your, your two – the two guys that's supposed to be the future of your team in golf and Gurley, and you see what the, you see the the mountain that you have to climb over to get them to where the, where you need them to be to where their potential can have them be. It's a very 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 tough job to look at and smile about because outside of Aaron Donald, you really don't have much. Robert Quinn can't seem to stay healthy right now. You know, two years straight he just hasn't been a healthy guy. Um, Tremaine Johnson isn't a number one corner. <laughs> uh, after Tremaine Johnson, your secondary is in shambles. I would say Maurice Alexander has a, a promising future because to even to, I think everyone's surprised. I was really surprised. He actually played very well this year. He finished in the top 20 for, according to PFS for safeties. I think he was number 18. Um, Rodney McLeod finished like 16 or uh, it was either 16 or 15 in his for, or his second year starting. So it shows you that he's not really far off from where Rodney McLeod was, which is really impressive because last year Rodney McLeod finished as a top 10 safety. So if he can have that sort of same same climb as Rodney McLeod, I think he's looking at a really good year next year. But outside of that, you really don't have much. Um, EJ Gaines looked like a six-round draft pick, which he was, but I kind of expected. Um, and me and me and Classy, we wrote an article together to start the year talking about EJ Gaines, and it was something that I really harped on was can't really expect him to be as good coming off of that injury because it's a really tricky injury and players just don't seem to come back the same after it. Um, and that's kind of what happened this year. He didn't really come back the same. So the secondary is kind of in shambles. The linebackers are a joke. <laughs> you know, they can't get off blocks. They're too small. They don't, they, their, their, their inability to get off blocks allows them to get gashed. And then again, you know, the, the, the defensive line, you only have Aaron Donald, which is a lot. <laughs> you know, you only have Aaron Donald. But Michael, Michael Brockers looks like he's plateaued. He doesn't look like he's going to get any better than what he already is, which he's a good tackle. But 
he was a first round draft pick. You, I think you expect a little bit more. He's a good tackle. He's a good run stuffer. He's not a bad player, but I don't think he's a, a going to take you to the. He's an upper echelon player or not or elite or anything like that. Um, the offensive line is arguably the worst in the NFL. <laughs> I won't say it is because it's some pretty bad ones, but they're up there. If they're not the worst, they're probably a one B C or D or somewhere there. They're in a tie, you know. Um, it's just not a good roster when you look at it. But everything else that you look at outside of the roster, I think, will be a little more lucrative to a coach. You know, you're you're in L.A. You have a very patient owner. <laughs> he just showed his patience with Jeff Fisher. Have a very patient owner, and again, like I mentioned, you do you do have the potential of Ty Gurley and a, the potential of golfing, you have arguably the most dominant player in the NFL mm. in Aaron Donald. So out of those two, if you had to choose between McDaniels and Shanahan, or excuse me, Patricia, which one are you taking? You know, it's so weird because it's, it's a tough, it's a tough question. I look at McDaniels and I say, you need his offensive mastermind. He, I don't care if you like the guy or not, you like his ego or not. What about the fact that he failed with a loaded team like the Broncos? Well, did he really? <laughs> he had Tim Tebow. <laughs> so, so it's not a, and I mean, they weren't even as good at that time. Like they're loaded, they're they're loaded now. Where they were loaded, they're not as good la- uh, this year as they were last year or the year before. But they were just they were just a good team. They were very solid, you know. And um, it's not like he didn't go to the playoffs. He did. So I look at it and I say, well, Steelers. <laughs> I look at it. I say, well, he had Tim Tebow leading his team. How much were you really expecting? You know, um, it wasn't a lot there. Um, had he had a better quarterback, you know, had he had the chance to have a Peyton Manning there, who knows what would have happened, but he didn't, you know, so I can't really, I can't really look at that and say, well, you know, he, it was so bad because now they, I don't know if it was his idea to draft Tebow or whose idea it was, but you had Tebow who the first 55 minutes of a game wasn't completing passes, you know, so it's a that's that's a tough one to, to call. You know, I don't want to condemn him too much for that. But again, like I said, it looks like it, from the from the rumbles uh, from the mumbles and everything from around the league. It sounds like he's kind of humbled himself a bit, but he's still an offensive genius. You know, whether you like the guy or not, he he knows offense and he knows how to make guys better. He knows how to put them in a position to succeed. Which the Rams need. The Rams have the worst offense in the NFL. This is one of the worst offenses I've ever seen. It's so inept, it's ridiculous. On the other side, you have Matt Patricia. He's just a really good defensive uh, coach. But I think what I like about him the most is I think he will bring discipline to this team, which I think they lack severely after being under Jeff Fisher. I don't think there's very little discipline. I think he'll bring discipline. I think he has more of that Bill Belichick type attitude you know he's all about business he's all about getting the job done you know I think that this team will be more fundamentally sound under Matt Patricia and they'll pay closer attention to detail however I'm not confident that the offense would be that great unless they have a really good offensive coordinator coordinator they could bring in uh so 
With that being said, I would have to say um, Matt Patricia, just because the the discipline he will bring, if the, the attention to detail, I think the team just overall will be better just from attention to detail alone. Um, you look at a guy like Greg Robinson. He, why does he have so many penalties? Because he doesn't pay attention to detail. <laughs> Keep your hands inside. They won't call holding. <laughs> you know, it's just it's small things like that. I think that he would actually fix. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Now we move on to very quickly a couple of last names on the list. We got Sean McVay, who's only been the Redskins coordinator since 2014. Prior to that, he is tight ends, wide receiver, quality control, assistant, wide receiver. Uh, 30 years of age, so really young guy. No real track record of being a head coach. What do you think? I mean, this is where I feel the Rams end up. Okay, let me say this about Sean McVay. When I look at what he did with the Redskins offense this year, it's, it was very impressive. Okay? The reason I say it was very impressive is because they had no real consistent run game. I think that when you don't have a consistent run game – and you don't have now. Don't get me wrong, Kirk Cousins. I'll take him over golf any day. You know he's a he's a really good quarterback. He's just not one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. You know, when you have a uh, an offense that doesn't have a good running game, um, sort of how Drew Drew Brees has had for so many years, or many times in Peyton Manning's career where he didn't have a good running game. You know, after entering James, you know the running game just started to suffer. But those quarterbacks were so good that you felt okay. You felt confident. You were like, I'm not worried about the running game. But Kirk Cousins isn't one of those guys. Yet, he still made that offense click and move the ball and score points. I think he did a very good job as a play caller, um, even without a run game, even without that threat. Teams knowing what's coming, and he still figured out a way to put them in position to get the play, uh, to make the play a success. That to me is a good play caller, and that to me is a, a good coordinator and guy who earned his who's earned the opportunity to become a head coach. With that being mm-hmm. said, I w- I would personally pass on him because um, I do think that he can be too one dimensional sometimes. I think he get too locked into you know uh, what he's doing, and that to me looks like the same makings of the 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 inability to make those adjustments that we were talking about. Um, if he can't make adjustments, you're going to be in some trouble, <laughs> you know. And, I th- again, it's something that he has to learn. He's still a young coach, still very early in his career. I think he's only 30 years old, you know, so which would make him the youngest coach in NFL history if he do – youngest head coach in NFL history if he does get the job or any job for that matter. But it's one of those things that he's going to have to learn – and it's a growing pain. I think the Rams have had enough growing pains. Yeah, I don't why, think the Rams need the Lane Kiffin the job. <laughs> Lane, this is Lane Kiffin to me all over again. But now we come to Mr. Harold Goodwin. Now, Harold Goodwin's been in the NFL since 2004 when he yes. first came on with the Chicago Bears as an assistant offensive line coach. Uh, then he moved over to the Steelers until about 0, uh, to 0, 11, 2011 as an offensive line coach and quality control coordinator. <laughs> then he moved to the Colts for years, the offensive line coach, and has been the offensive coordinator at Arizona 
since 2013. 44 years old-ish. Uh, where do you come down on this, man? Uh, I, I, you look at the Arizona offense, Goodwin strikes me as a guy who is going to get his chance sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, good one. I think is probably the biggest enigma of of all the uh, head coaching candidates this year in the NFL, and the reason being is because you look at what's around him, and you you have to. There's no way you can't. You have to ask yourself how much of the success of the Arizona's Car- Arizona Cardinals offense falls on his shoulders, because you know Bruce Arians is a legitimate play caller. You know, you know that he's a good, great uh, uh, offensive-minded coach. And you know that um, he's a good, he's great at developing quarterbacks. His track record with quarterbacks is one of the best in the NFL, one of the best ever. So, and then you look at the talent on that team. You know, you look at his running back. I mean, David Johnson is the best all-purpose running back in the NFL. Okay, and then you look at Carson Palmer, you know, a legitimate quarterback that is that will tear you up deep. He has one of the best deep balls there is. You got a Larry Fitzgerald. You got John Brown. You know, the team is really good and they have a a pretty decent offensive line. So when you add in everything that he had around him, you have to you have to ask yourself how much is the success of this offense really is because of him. And that's what makes him an enigma because you don't want to take anything away from him, but you don't want to give him too much credit and then put yourself in a bad situation thinking you're getting one thing and you're not. I think that with Harold Goodman, I personally will pass because it's too much. It's, it's a high risk, high reward. And again, with the way with the state that the Rams are in, you need more sure things, <laughs> you know, which is kind of the point that I was making earlier with David Shaw. The Rams situation is bad, and they are looking at their their the chances are they're going to be looking at a legitimate rebuild. You want more of a sure thing in there, um, and while you need a great offensive mastermind to really help this offense that's really really been bad, you don't want to assume this that someone's an offensive mastermind because their offense is doing good, and they're not really the they're not really the the artist with the paintbrush, <laughs> you know. They're more so. They're, if anything, they're the paintbrush, and someone else is the artist holding them. <laughs> you know, and I think that's kind of where he falls right now. I, I can I can totally understand that. Um, <laughs> that everything you said makes sense to me. You look at the Cardinals. There are a lot of things that they have going for them, both on offense and on defense. That team has been successful for myriad reasons. And you to single out one guy and say, this guy, he's been, you know, he's been an architect. He's been a help. But it's like you said, man, everybody talks about Bruce Arians being the mastermind behind that team. And that should just give you pause on Goodwin for a second. Now we come down to the final candidate on our list. Mr. Anthony Lynn. Talk to me. Anthony Lynn has been, um, a name that's been flirted with with uh, teams for a while now. For Let me run while. down his resume. He's been in the NFL, well, basically his whole life. He yeah. played for the Denver Broncos for most of his career, except for uh, one one or two year stint with the 49ers. 
He has a couple Super Bowl rings, both with the Broncos on John Elway. Uh, he started out with the Broncos special team assistant before moving over to the Jaguars as a running backs coach, the Dallas Cowboys as a running backs coach, the Cleveland Browns as a running backs coach to the New York Jets as a running backs coach, then to the Bills as a running backs coach slash offensive coordinator, and then named the interim head coach after they fired Rex Ryan. Um... Like you said, he's been a name that's been tossed around the league. But here again, we're talking about a guy who's... See, this one gives me the most pause. Because regardless <laughs> of what Tyrod Taylor did, he's been a running backs coach for most of his career. He's been an OC yeah. for maybe a year. Yeah, I, I just, I don't... I, I don't, mean, in one year's time, he, he was a running backs coach, offensive coordinator, and then an interim head coach. That was literally in a 12-month span. So it's he's all over. But again, he's a name that teams have been flirting with for like the last two or three years, you know, for opportunities. Um, it's really similar to what I was just saying about uh, Harold Goodwin, you know, um, where you look at what's around the person and what they're working with. I mean, you look at the uh, his, when he was with the Jets, he had Thomas. Um, I forget his last name, whatever. <laughs> you know, you had this you had this unbelievable these un, this two headed monster in the backfield running the ball. And it was Perfect like Thomas. No, no oh, oh, Thomas. Uh, damn it, man. I get what you're saying. I'm going to yeah. look at <laughs> You know, you had you had a two-headed monster running running in the backfield. Then you had a Ladanian Tomlinson come in town. <laughs> you know, then with the Bills, you have a LaShawn McCoy. He's had some legitimate talent. You know, so it's not like uh, you know. Again, you don't want to take anything away from him, but you don't want to give too much to him. You, you know, it, it's really similar to Harold Go, and I would use the perfect example for you, Gus Bradley. You look at Gus Bradley when he got the job with the uh, Jaguars from the Seahawks and, you know, everyone was just right after the Super Bowl and everything. And everyone was just like, oh, man, you know, he's he's such a good coach. And I'm not saying he's a bad coach, but, you know, everyone's just like, he's such a good coach. Look at what he did with the Seahawks. And, but what people failed to realize was this Seahawks team was good enough and they had enough pieces in place. They were going to succeed with whoever was there, you know. So when Gus Bradley left and went to the Jaguars, People were expecting, oh, yeah, he's going to bring what he had there here, but he couldn't, you know, because he didn't have those pieces. See, some people can some people can make it work with certain pieces and some people can adjust what they have in their system to any piece. And that's what I was saying about Shanahan. He's that guy that can adjust to whoever and make his system mold into them instead of them molding to his system. Gus Bradley was not one. And I question if Harold Goodwin and Anthony Lynn are those guys that can mold what they know and what they have into other people as instead of instead of them molding into what they have. Ah, man, that's uh, that's that's some uh, that's some quality conversation on coaches. So out of all of that, who do you end up on? Kyle Shanahan. I'm stuck Kyle, on him. Kyle Shanahan's your guy. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan is my guy. Kyle Shanahan and I think Matt Patricia 
I think I might, I might too. We'll see if the Rams get them. Well, guys, um, I hate to kind of burst your bubble, but NFL.com is has an article all about how Kyle Shanahan's first choice is Denver. Oh, yeah. That, dude, I don't think anybody yeah, he, with he, a brain... Like, what I said at the beginning of this is that Kyle Shanahan is going to have his pick of the jobs. I don't think he's yeah, going absolutely. to pick the Rams. I assume that the Denver Broncos are going to offer him the game. Saturday. He does interview yeah. with Denver Saturday. With it being Saturday, the Rams being on Friday, they have their chance to swipe him up before he can get over there, but they're going to have to come with it. Yeah, they really are. Honestly, they I'm a little surprised that he would be so willing to take that Denver job, being that, I mean, I know it's home for him, but he would not only be in the shadow of his dad, but also Gary Kubiak. But, hey, maybe he's got uh, the confidence to go in there and, and do his thing. Yeah, maybe. I, I think Kubiak retired because, well, frankly, he got lucky. <laughs> Straight out. I don't. I. I never thought Kubiak was a great coach. I think that the Super Bowl fell into his lap, and he realized it. Did. <laughs> I agree with you a hundred percent. I def. I mean, you just look at his record, and you, I know team. I know guys say that. How many oh, times? How many times did we hear some people say, man, the Texans, this is the year for the Texans. This is the year and for the Texans. That's exactly what I was just about to say. You, know, you you heard people talk about, oh, well, you know, he had the Texans and they were rebuilding. That's why his record's like that. But that goes back to what I was saying about first-time head coaches that aren't made for that. And he couldn't get them out of that, out of the, 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 the just the gutter, <laughs> you know, they – they were not good, and it was certain things that they never adjusted to, and they never improved the line, and it was just so many things. And I really agree with you. I think he just kind of fell into a great situation with the Broncos. Um, you look at what he had. I mean, the Broncos, that defense, John Elway is a genius. Let's just say that first. <laughs> what he did in free agency and then what he did in the draft, Whatever he got in free agency, he went in the draft and got the exact same thing. So if he signed a good defensive end in free agency, he went in the draft and got another one. You know, if he signed a good corner in free agency, he went in the draft and got another one. You know, he went he went and got Aqib Tlaib, and then he drafted Bradley Roby, and he and then he let them he let him work up under him. So he's literally building guys under great players and making better players through his draft. Like, it's genius. And that defense turned out to be amazing. And Gary Kubiak just walked right in there and fell right up under there. And in the offense, you have... Peyton Manning had just, just enough. Just enough. Peyton Manning's one job was to not lose the game. That was... (laughs) Peyton Manning became the ultimate game manager. And when you have what uh, arguably the smartest quarterback of all time... I think he's smart enough to know how to not lose the game. <laughs> you know, so I definitely would say that Gary Kubiak just fell into a great situation because if you take away that Super Bowl run, I mean, what does he have for his record? It's, it's barely over 500. So, uh, excuse me, not Super Bowl record, but career record. It's barely over 500. So, yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely don't think that Gary Kubiak is this great coach. I think he's a good coach. I think he's an okay coach. I think he's a solid coach, but um, yeah, I, I agree with you. He got lucky. 
Ah, man. So let's get to our last listener. Let's get to our listener question here. Um, we have, uh, and I wish I would have remembered to put the name, but I didn't. Uh, Mr. Nope, that was Irv H. making a comment. Daniel Matola, gotcha, wants to know, have we seen all from Tavon Austin, or can he, can he develop into what his contract slash draft status says? <laughs> oh, man, so this I'll is such you, a... I'll let you smack this one down. This is such a, uh, a, a crazy question because it's so loaded. Um... When you look at Tavon Austin, I think what Frank Signetti was able to do with him showed more promise than at any point in his career. I think that's fair to say. Frank Signetti had a better idea of how to use him. Now, as I've always said, I think it needs to be a mix of using him a special way, you know, since he's a special talent. I think it needs to be a mix of that but then also using him as a true receiver, you know, and not just a gadget guy. Um, and everyone, you can talk about his size all you want. I've seen too many small guys have success in this league. You look at Antonio Brown, he's five foot ten, barely. And he's arguably the best. I personally think he is the best receiver. Some people say that he's two or three. So arguably the best receiver in the league. He's certainly the most consistent. That's undeniable. That's you can't argue that, you know, and he's he's a 5'10", 180 pound guy. You know, he's not a big guy at all. Tavon Austin is 5'9", you know, and 180 pounds. So and I'm not saying that Tavon Austin is the next Antonio Brown or anything. I'm not even putting him on that same category, but you, you can talk about the size all you want. I look at his physical ability. His ability to change direction translates to route running. When you talk about route running, and that is my go-to thing every time with when it comes to being a receiver is your routes because that is what makes the receiver. If you can't run good routes, your career is very short. Um, Tavon Austin has the ability to run good routes, and I've actually watched him grow as a route runner. You know, but he's not being used in that way. Now, drops is an issue. He needs to make sure he's holding on to the ball. But they're also not pushing him downfield. There's too much going on around the line of scrimmage, which unless you're Frank Signetti, who figured out how to make that work somehow, you're going to have the what you have this year. And it's just not a good look. You have to get him downfield more. You have to allow him to use his change of direction and shiftiness in his routes, which he's gotten better at. And he's really, really advanced his uh, understanding of the route tree from when he first came in. He actually can run routes and lose the defender consistently now. But now you have to allow him to do that. So I still think that you can use him as that gadget because as we saw with that direct snap um, this past Sunday on the last game, I mean, there's certain things that he can do that not other receivers can do. When he made that guy miss and he found that crease and hit it, he was gone. Now, of course, it was called back on another penalty, but he was gone, you know, and that's why you still want to sprinkle that in there. But Tavon Austin has the ability to be a very good receiver. Do I think that he will be a uh, live up to his contract? No. (laughs) Do I think that we've seen the best of him? No. I think that there's more of him that we can see, but they have to actually allow him to do it, which is why I think that an offensive-minded coach will be great to bring in, someone that would allow him to be more than what he is. 
Could not agree more, man. Um, well, we had a couple other things that we were going to get to that I think we are just going to save, but we'll end it on this note. Let's find something positive. I was going to do players to jettison, but let's talk about some, a couple players the Rams could probably get in free agency to strengthen the team because we know they're going to yes. lose one or two, which will give them cap room especially if they lose a guy like teenage TJ McDonald and obviously Tremaine Johnson, who's uh, eating up a ton of cap room with his tag. Um, what can they pick up that would satisfy a fan base or at least even make them, I don't know, not implode? Well, right now the Rams are looking at about $40 million in cap space. Um, now, of course, that number isn't concrete yet because the salary cap number hasn't been set yet. And it's been, uh, the past couple of years, the salary cap number has been a little bit higher than what the uh, prediction has been, what, the, what it's been anticipated to be. So it wouldn't be a complete shocker if, you know, they came out with $45 million in cap space, which is more than enough space to fill a lot of holes. Um, I think that they first have to look at the offensive line. Um, it's, it's just kind of a mess right now. Uh, it's, it's, it needs to be addressed. You you're not going to have any sort of success with your young quarterback. Ty Gurley doesn't use his eyes. So you have to open up holes for him wide as ever where he's supposed to go, wherever the play is supposed to go. He just runs to, you know, he doesn't look for cutbacks or anything like that. He, he doesn't, he doesn't have the vision. So you need a line that's going to help him out a lot because he doesn't know how to create his own yards. Since he doesn't know how to create his own yards, you gotta you gotta get guys in there that's gonna create it for him, and um, that that I think that has to be the number one focus for uh, this offseason is fixing that line. And considering that this is a very weak draft for linemen, and the Rams don't have a first round pick anyway, I think that's where the I think when you talk about the uh, free agency period, they have to they have to invest most of their time in there. Kevin Zietler. Is one guy with from the uh, Bengals is one guy that I look at and say, hey, I think that he could make a huge impact if you uh, if you gave if you brought him in. Um, I think he's a really good road blocker. He's done wonders for that uh, for that Cincinnati Bengals offensive line since he got there. You just have to you have to go after him aggressively, and that's kind of what I was mentioning earlier when I said if you got rid of the less need, how do you attack aggressively? Because so far in the left, let's need and Jeff, not so far, but throughout the uh, less needed and Jeff Fisher uh, reign, we'll say there wasn't a lot of attacking key guys in free agency when they had opportunity. A lot of the guys they brought in, they went after because they were going to get them for cheap because they were hurt. You look at Jake Long or uh, Jake Long, you look at Roger Saffold. They went after there are a lot of guys that were either going to be hurt and were cheap or guys that had a history with Jeff Fisher or was willing to come for a little less money because they liked the relationship they had with him. That's kind of what their attack plan has been. They haven't really gone for any big fish. I think that needs to change. Um, so that's just for the offensive line. Now, if you're going to uh, stray away from the offensive line, I would look at an Alshon Jeffrey or a Deshaun Jackson. I really think Deshaun Jackson could do wonders considering the fact that you look at what the uh, defenses did this year, the way they stacked the box. There's not a defense in the NFL that's going to stack the box like that with J Deshaun Jackson on the field. 
because even at 30 years old, he still proved to be a deep threat that's unlike no other this year. So if you had a Deshaun Jackson, that alone would take so much pressure out of the box to open up more running lanes uh, to where you may not need an all-pro guard, but just a decent one to help move, open up some holes. Well, man, I think that that's a fantastic place to leave it for this week. Um, why don't you tell the people what you have coming up on the site and, uh, we'll start from there and I'll wrap it out. So I actually started, uh, work, working on this today and, uh, plan on getting it finished tomorrow. Hopefully this will be up on the site tomorrow, but, uh, it's going to be me really kind of diving into Jared Goff and what we saw from him in this season and, you know, who is Jared Goff, <laughs> you know, getting an idea out of that, because as I've said a couple of times already, and I, I you know, I'm going to keep saying it, it just is what it is. It's the cold, hard truth. He was the worst quarterback in the NFL. So now it's about evaluating him and trying to figure out what can we expect moving forward? You know, is this the real Jared Goff? Is this what we have? Or is there something that we can get or can we get more out of him? As for myself, I am putting the finishing touches on an article about my first season as a Rams guy. Um, hint, it's depressing. But then again, so is most of my life. Uh, other than that, uh, you can catch me on my American Citizens podcast if you happen to be a fan of Manchester City. Uh, and also... I would add that I have a podcast with Kevin McGuire from College Football Huddle called Hyrule Huddle. And we are recording our uh, one of our shows tomorrow, which is a mix of pop culture, sports and uh, gaming. We blend all three and we're going to be talking about Rogue One, Mario Run and uh, several other things, including the Nintendo Switch. So be sure to check that out. Uh, other than that, big thanks to producer Scotty, and a huge thank you to Myson for holding it down while Joe was out. I am sure Joe will be back in this seat next week, uh, taking things over like he always does. Uh, but if not, we always welcome Myson back. I want to thank all of you guys for listening. And so far, 2017 has been good. It has been good. No major deaths. I say that now. Somebody's going to drop dead tonight while Scott's editing this. Hopefully it's not me. So if somebody, uh, look, man, if somebody drops dead between 1417 and 15 or 617, not my problem. I, I don't blame me. Somebody else said it. So uh, other than that, we will be sure to follow the site at Turf Show Times. You can find us on Facebook at Turf Show Times. We are on Instagram, I believe, as well, Turf Show Times. There are a whole bunch of things you can find us at. Just Google Turf Show Times. Click, like, enjoy every single one of them. I am Josh Webb. He is my Senadiasaur. Big thanks to Scott Johnston, our producer. You can find on sports at Sports Speaks. I believe is his new. Correct, sir. Correct, uh, correct. Uh, I only I, one week and I remembered that you said it one time and I remembered. I'm proud of myself, especially people who know me. Uh, so <laughs> sports speak and uh, follow Scotty, uh, even if he is a Niners fan. And we will catch you next time right here on Turf Show Radio. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. 
and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>